Hello there, I'm Nick Brownlee, and this is the Cumbria Business Podcast. Now, when I were a lad, a pub was for drinking in. A pint of bitter for him, a dry white wine for the lady, and if he wanted anything to eat, you could choose from a fine selection of crisps, pork scratchings, pickled eggs, or if you were lucky, a cheese and onion sandwich sweating in its cling film wrapper. But times have changed, and so have pubs. For a start, a huge swathe of them have closed down, more than 12,000 in the UK since 2019, that's around 30 a day. And that's before you factor in the disastrous effects of the COVID pandemic. But even before the big shutdown, it was clear that the days of the traditional boozer were numbered. A new generation of punters wanted sophistication, a varied menu, and a pint of keg and a bag of peanuts just wasn't going to cut it anymore. As for mine host, well, it was a case of adapt or die. As a result, pubs became gastropubs, and for some, the emphasis these days is very much on the gastro side of the equation. To find out more about this transformation, and more importantly how the business model works in practice, I paid a visit to my local pub. A few years ago the salutation in Irthington was in danger of becoming another statistic. Despite the best efforts of successive owners, it had closed down. A community group were trying their best to raise enough money and interest to open it again, but it didn't look good. That's when Sean Gardner and Jimmy Little stepped in. The pair had run pubs before, Jimmy had once worked in the kitchens at the salutation, but having bought the place, they were determined to take it in a new direction. Out went the drinkers, in came the diners. There was a major refurbishment. There was a new name, the Sally. And despite some initial disquiet among the old guard, it proved a huge success. But then came Covid, and the closed signs went up again, and fear gripped the village that last orders might just have been called for the last time. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. The Sally is open for business again, but when I sat down in the bar with Sean the other day, over a frothy cappuccino naturally, I wanted to know just how close he and Jimmy had come to calling time on the whole venture. Well, Sean, thanks for having me. We're sitting in the uh, the bar stroke restaurant area of the Sally in Irthington. It's um, the end of May 2021. Did you think in the end of May 2020 that um, we would be sitting in the bar at the Sally? Or, or did you think that there was a possibility that the, the bar and the Sally might never reopen? Um, no, I think we were always positive that we would reopen. Um, I think 12 months ago we probably didn't think it would go on as long as it did. Um, but no, I mean, we were a successful business and we always knew that we'd ride the wave. Um, but only because of the financial support the government has given us in that respect. Um, when did you sort of realise that um, it was ha- it was happening for good? This this lockdown scenario that it wasn't just going to be a couple of weeks. Well, obviously the locals when we were they were coming in for drinks and we'd started putting sanitizers out. They were thought we were our, our bonkers really. Um, but we obviously saw what was going on in London and obviously kept an eye on the news and knew it was going to get up here at some point. Um, so obviously. We always knew it was going to happen, but it's still a shock when it did happen. I remember when they shut us down on the Friday before Mother's Day. Um, it was tears. It was all the hard work we created. What are we going to do? Um, and I've always been one that panics about finances. And obviously until they launched about 
the job retention scheme and the, the funding to help small businesses out, then it's sort of like, okay, let's relax and just work out what we need to do to get through it. But never did I think like 18 months on, we would still be in the same position being no. working only 16 weeks out of a financial year. It was, it was, it was barmy like. I, I mean, presumably then without any government assistance, you and a, and a lot of people, in, well, most people in the leisure industry would have... Oh, would have most definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, we... We 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 made a, pr- a very small profit last year, and that's only because we we shut down and curbed our expenses and, and controlled everything. Um, but a lot of the wet trade um, wouldn't exist now. Um, the the tourism and the um, the theatre section is still under tremendous pressure because of lo- our large numbers. Um, so we did well in respect of controlling our costs, being able to... I mean, ETAC's help out was a major game-changer for us. Um, we did more than we've done in three Christmases in one month, mm. um, the turnover that we took in, in August alone. Um, and it probably didn't do great in the figures extend, increasing um, in September, October time. But if it wasn't for some kind of government activity like the ETAC to help out, then it would have been a very different story. We made a lot of money in that August to carry us through the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, prior to the lockdown, prior to the, the pandemic, um, you had uh, you and Jimmy, who who you run the pub with, um, you'd kind of revolutionised what the pub was and what the village pub was and what it could have been, which we'll come back to. But what I'm interested in in finding out from you now is how did you get into the pub business? What's, um, what's your story, Sean? Well, pub business is Jimmy's game. Um, I've always been in hospitality. I trained as a chef when I left school at 15, thinking growing up when my nan was teaching me to cook, it was all about plucking and gutting birds and gutting fish and all the gory stuff. And then when I re- realised it was 18-hour days, working breakfast, lunch and dinner in a hotel, doing f- cooking that I didn't really want to do, I quickly changed my mind. <laughs> um, so I actually left... Uh, I've always worked in hotels, cruise liners, four or five-star hotels, etc. Um, and then when I obviously realised at the age of 23 I'd never really had a social life, um, I left... Um, hospitality um, and teach um, as at Stafford Stafford College um, wannabe chefs and food service personnel and reception and that because that, that's stuff. where you're from originally you're that's from, from that down, down south yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I've moved all over the country worked for Royal Caribbean cruise lines um, four or five star hotels in Surrey uh, Manchester um, and I went to work the last I met Jimmy when he was a chef for me at the University of Cumbria at Newton Rig and I was being made redundant when the university was um, struggling financially back in 2010. Um, Jimmy had already had a business um, which um, got financially in trouble because of the Cumberland Gap being roadworks being done. Um, and basically we, we got together to, to set up a, a pub business. I obviously knew hospitality but not the pub sector. That's very much Jimmy's game. Um, so we have very much different skill sets to be able to make the business work and that's why we are successful. Um, but yeah, the, the pub game is Jimmy's bag. He knows, if you tell him about a pub, he'll know whether it's on the market, how much it's on the market for and he knows every pub in Cumbria and where it is and who it used to belong to, if it was a lease pub or anything. So um, he is the pub man and then I do the, the food service and the accounts and personnel and all that kind of stuff. Did, did you take a bit of persuasion Persuasion to to go into the pub game, not not. I mean, you, obviously, you'd been around on on the cruise ships and all this yeah. stuff, but not in pubs. Did you were you a bit concerned that it wasn't any? You weren't familiar with it. Um, I suppose to me, and that's why I, we've created something very different here. To me, um, 
hospitality is hospitality. The venue and the setting is very different. Um, so to me, it was bringing saying something through, and that's why you will always get the traditional drinkers that say, "Oh, you've ruined a good country pub and this that, and the other," because we do run it very differently. But then you also have to look at it. It was shut for two years before we come, and it probably would have stayed shut um, or never been successful after us. So we always said that if we open it and we were successful in purchasing it when when it was a repossession, that it'll always be a pub from there on because we we would. Have we wouldn't if anyone was to buy it later they wouldn't be buying it to turn into a house because it would be too expensive for them as, as a plot of land and that kind of stuff um so yeah we we do create something different yes it's still a pub um we albeit with rooms and that kind of stuff but we just like to think that we offer something a bit more modern um and a bit more better than than your traditional pub really do you think that it's um I mean, I, I should explain what I mean. What it, it what the pub was. I remember it was a you know traditional drinkers pub, um, and then when you guys came in, you, you kind of well ripped it out basically, and you you, you got the decorators in, yeah. you got the the, the, the designers in, um, and turned it very much into an eating establishment. And then at, there were a sort of hardcore drinkers, yeah. I guess me being one of them, um, who have been catered for with a, a room at the back, yeah, uh, sort of a walkers bar. Um, I wonder if, um, I mean, you hinted at it, uh, the sort of reaction that you got mm-hmm. um, wasn't entirely sort of positive. And I think yeah. that, like, from from the hardcore, perhaps we're thinking, you know, this isn't a proper pub. But yeah. I guess you you had to you had to do it. You, you said, yeah. I mean, obviously, when we moved in, there was paperwork left, and it just wasn't financially viable while it was. Um, what we've tried to do is create something that works in all aspects. So, yeah, as you hinted, we've spent just over half a million pound renovating it and bringing it up to the spec that we've we've created. But what we've tried to do in that is we've tried to give the drinkers an area that is solely there. So you, we don't let the tables out for diners. If people want to eat in there, then they, they can do. The tables can't be reserved, that kind of stuff. So And we've made that area more rustic and drinking in that respect for them. So we try and create an area that's welcoming for all. Um, yes, there's an areas that are totally dining areas, um, which the drinkers wouldn't want to be part of anyway. Um, but I think the rea- negative reactions come before we did the extension where they had their own area because what was the bar area before, was, which is now a, a small dining area, um, was more restauranty orientated until we obviously got the extension built and that kind of stuff. So and I think now it's been done and they've got their defined area. They could, they've got a TV in there. Um, they've got the beer garden outside. I think they're, they're more than happy now sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I, and... It's it's been the sort of last the ten years I guess of, of of slow decline for pubs in terms of there's been a lot shutting down. I wonder if you think that you know this is the in terms of business this is the template that certainly rural pubs have to look at. You know, not they can't just uh, cater for the drinking crowd anymore because the drinking crowd don't yeah. exist. I mean that that's the thing. There's no there's no there's not lots of money in in drinking pubs anymore. Um, if you've got a wet wet pub, then. They, I think the pandemic will have seen them out, to be fair. Those that have, that have failed and fallen through are the ones that will be solely wet-led. Um, if you look at all the managed houses now, they've all got food menus out there, um, whether it be a microwave menu or whatever. They've all got a food offering, a back bar offering or, or whatever, um, and they've got to find ways to diversify to keep going like, every, like farmers have and everything like that. Um, no one comes out drinking anymore to keep a pub in profit because they can get it so much cheaper from the supermarket nowadays yeah and i, I suppose the um 
you know, the fact that everybody's been locked in for, for the last 15 months and the only access to, to booze for most has been the supermarket. Yeah. Is, is that, is that going to change things, do you think? Do you think it's, people are going to actually come back? I think it's six and two threes. I think, yes, you'll have the ones that have been locked away for so long that want to get out and socialise again. And maybe that's what the society needed to realise there is still a... a, a a position for pubs in the community um, and you'll always have the ones that are just money orientated and cost and think it was cheaper to, to drink at home and and I suppose that is a case of like yes it is cheaper to, to drink at home but you haven't got that social aspect coming out and meeting different people yes you can have your friends around but it's the whole you've got to offer something more than what you get at home um, and I remember when we had our pub back in West Cumbria um, we went to a local pub down the village down the town and they said well your pints are expensive and I was like, but you're charging me £3 for a Foster's can to, that is no different to me going to the supermarket. I said, whereas you're getting a draft pint in my spot in a branded glass in a nice environment um, served by well-turned-out staff, etc., etc., were trained and this and the other. I said, so there's got to be some added value um, to it and I think that's what we, we offer and deliver. Um, <clears throat> I mean, would, would it ever cross your mind to sort of say, right, OK, we're not going to do for drinkers anymore we're just going to have a we're just going to become a restaurant no i mean the reason we shut on the we shut on the 21st of december prior to boris johnson um shutting us down for new year's eve um and the reason we did that because when we reopened after the small november shutdown and they brought in the stupid um substantial meal uh, ruling in we lost all of our drinkers and they still add to the productivity and, and the profitable the profitability of the business so there's always, there's a place for drinkers no it won't sustain the outgoings of a, of a pub but there's certainly a place for it and that's why we try to build and give them an area that they feel comfortable in um you mentioned the pub out in the west of cumbria um what's the difference between over there and over here um <laughs> oh right um in, in one um, sentence. <laughs> that's a hard question, that is. Um, I would say they're more more money, more careful with their money out in West Cumbria. Is that is that is that the reason that you decided to come here? I, I, I know Jimmy. Jimmy had worked here. At some yeah, state. Jimmy's worked here since he was fourteen. Um, I mean, were, were you looking actively for somewhere to, to move across to this area when when the, this place came on the market, or was it a sort of happy coincidence? It was a bit of both. Obviously, we our business model is that we tend to stay in a place five, six years um, and then look for our next project. Um, we, Jim, obviously, this came on the market, but we were also looking at another spot over the border at the same time. Um, and it was a case of which one came through first, really. Or really, um, Jimmy, as I say, he's worked here since he was four, 14, pot washing, all the way up to running the head chef uh, of the place. Um and yeah, it was, for him it was a homecoming, I guess. Um, for me it was a case of, well, are the numbers going to stack up? I don't care where I work, really. Um, it's a job and it would be nice to, to work in a village location, but it has to work uh, financially. And, and for Jimmy it was a homecoming and it worked out that this was the one at the time. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you and Jimmy have got family now. Um, yeah. Which, uh, were you expecting that at all? Did that, that, that's no, a- I'd rather have me six holidays a year at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but would I change? No, not not a chance. Um, 
yes, it's a business and yes, we have to make it profitable. But for us now, it's about work-life balance. Yeah. We don't want to be in here seven days a week. And we've created a team now where we don't have to be in here. We have a head chef, even though Jimmy still oversees the back of, back of house operation and I oversee the front of house. We have a head chef and operations manager that run it day to day for us. And we have a team there surrounding them that we now manage two people rather than the team of 11 12 that are now so um yeah we just won't want to enjoy what we've created and and obviously do that with our son as well i mean it's a very um it's not a military operation you've got here but it's very very tight isn't it and, yeah. and you've, you know you as you say you've got staff in um and again i wonder if that's the template for making pubs succeed in in modern times because it used to be you know some guy would just become a tenant of a pub and with his wife and there would be a cheese sandwich behind the bar and he'd serve beer and but those days have well gone now um i mean you, you presume you have to almost turn it into a into a hotel business don't you to, yeah to i mean we don't everyone says we're special operators and we're not we're just we just do what we've always been taught jimmy as i say is a pub background but he's worked for punch taverns um green king and all those kind of big places and obviously with me working at the university and corporate establishments all we've done is join those two things together so every year even though it's our business i write a business plan i write um a cash flows and and I'll, I'll make sure that we're still accountable for our business and we're doing it we'll still have an external stock taker in every six weeks to make sure the bar's making profit and doing and the food etc so we run it as we do any big operation um because how do you know if you're making money unless you've got the controls and procedures in place and and you've added rooms here you mentioned earlier on um how important has that been to the overall success of the place um I mean, obviously, it's another income stream, which is great. Um, I always obviously thought rooms was the way to go because a lot of it is profit. Um, but then when you work out that it's a breakfast operation, you're having people and staffing from 7 in the morning through till 11, 12 o'clock at night, then unless you've got a lot of rooms and they're completely full all the time, then they can be as much as a burden as, as they are a profitable um, area of it. So summer great. Winter, when you've only got one bedroom, it's more hassle than it's worth sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I interviewed uh, John Davis, who um, was planning to take over the airport and get a, get an airline going there mm-hmm. again. Um, at the minute, the only thing running at the airport is a COVID testing centre yeah. uh, with <laughs> with hundreds of people, but it's not many. Cars. Good income for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you're right, but um, I wondered, you know, how important that might be if you know the airport became a viable concern, um, you know, in terms of your business, in terms of people staying. Because uh, I, I recall that you know the, the pub in a previous um, incarnation did do quite well out of it when the when the airport was working uh, sort of reasonably well. Um, I guess it would make a big difference to you. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've got to look at their schedules and and how they're going to operate. I mean, for us, we think it is a great a great thing for us. Um, it's got to be more um, structured. It's got to be um, continuity there, um, and it's got to be more where people want to go. Going to fly to so unless you get an operator like jet two or EasyJet or something like that they're going to take people on holiday i don't think it'll any it won't be massive and i think the area feels like that but if we can get start off with small eggs and grow to where to where it can be then yeah i think it'll be fantastic because we've got nothing else um we can obviously work with them we 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 already offer or when we when it was open um if they book direct free transfers in the morning up to the airport so they can leave their car here etc um so we've, we've got the facility in place to, to work with them, um, and I'm, we're hoping we can do that as and when it grows, really. Um, you mentioned earlier on as well that uh, you, you have a game plan for each place you're in. Um, 
five or six years, you said. Mm-hmm. Um, how many years have you been here now? Five. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what my next question is. Have, have you, are you thinking of moving on or have you revised, um, I revised your Yeah, plan? I mean, I don't think it's, it's not... Um, it's not private or anything. I think a lot of people know it's on the market. Um, a lot of people think it's because of COVID and it's not. As I say, we made a, a small profit last year. So um, from that respect, I don't think there's many business in a COVID environment that would have made a profit. Um, but yeah, it's on the market. And just because we, we like startups and it's funny that the place that we looked at, I said there was two places that were interesting when we bought this. The other place is still on the market and he's dropped the price considerably. So obviously that's that's what we're looking at. Obviously I can't say a lot about that. No. Um, but yeah, it's still on the market and it could be it could do a phenomenal amount of money for us. Um, but obviously we need to sell that. To so be so it, it's it's um it's a pub sort of going concern as a pub that you're uh, looking no, at. No, it's um it's actually a, a wedding venue and sixteen bedroom hotel. Um, oh, okay. So um, yeah, it's got a function suite for one hundred and eighty for weddings. Um, just over the border, obviously with Gretna, um, that's what we're thinking. Yeah. Um, it's got a two-story converted barn area that were my mind's going leisure centre, <laughs> uh, fitness suite upstairs, beauty salons for the bride and groom, or um, three townhouse self-catering accommodation with hot tubs. Um, my head's spinning with what we could do with it. Um, it does nothing at the minute, no. um, and it could be turned turned into a multi-million pound business. So, wow. um, it's uh, yeah, it's we're in we're in a stage now where with what we what we've done to this and what what we're um, what it's on the market for, we could potentially be able to buy that. But it needs a lot of money spent on it to do yeah. it. Yeah, um, I mean, very exciting for yeah. you guys. I mean, it's and I, I've. <laughs> You're a glutton for punishment, or yeah. <laughs> well, we've said this will be the last project. Obviously, we keep saying it's about a work-life balance with Kai, yeah. but obviously, we want to make him that he's got a secure future when he gets older and he's not wanting for anything. Mm-hmm. But he's also got a. Um, we had a little thing with our swimming teacher last week where she said I was bribing him because I said if you want that toy, you've got to do your length, you do your swimming. But <laughs> to me, I've never had anything handed on my plate. We have to work for it, and it's not bribing. It's a case of that. You don't get anything for nothing, and um, yeah. he's going to have to. He, if he wants a good future, when he's thing, he's got to learn that you have to work for it. And how old is he now, Kai? Three and a half. <laughs> 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 so, um, if he wants that private education and stuff that, you, that uh, we would like for him, then um, we've got to we've got to do the move as well. Absolutely. Thing, so. I mean, would you ever? Would you sort of recommend the, the lifestyle for him? You know, the, the running a pub. Oh God, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if uh, if he's going to if we, if he if he'd like a private education, I want him to do a little bit more than than that. Um, my sister's children were private educated and my si- I had a big falling out with my sister because I teach, obviously I used to teach, as I say, in, in a college and I was like, that it's not fair, every kid should have the same kind of education and, and this, that and the other. And I look at what her, her children go didn't go to university and I was like, that's stupid, you spend all that money and this, that and the other. But you see it where they are now. I mean, my, my niece is 22, 23. Um, she's chief yeah. executive of a uh, PA to the chief executive of a hospital. Um, and my, my nephew is 25, just turned, and he's working for Deloitte's um, accountancy on stupid money at the age of 25. Um, travels up to Scotland to see clients and this. And it just, that education and being able to converse with people and public speak and, and all that kind of stuff, I just think it's phenomenal. How but do you, do you have any regrets about what you, the way the, no, the turn I'm, your life has taken? to? No, to I mean, I look at, obviously, brought up on a council estate and a single family. Um, my father died when I was only six months old. Um, and I look at, yes, I had a, a, a 
family that cared for me and everything. Did I have everything? Did I go on holidays and this? No, I can't think of memories that and creating memories that we talk about now with kids. Um, but it, my parents weren't in, my mother wasn't in a position to do that. Um, do I want more for car? Yeah, I think every parent wants more for their kids and see them do better than what they did. Um, but I would never say I'm, I'm sorry that we did it. I, if, if it wasn't for the pub game and having the business and working the hours we do, we wouldn't have the lifestyle we have. Um, is there a lot of money day to day in running a pub? No. Um, I think if you're a lease tenant and you're paying rent to pub companies, you'll never make a lot of money from it. Um, we are, we have a nice lifestyle day to day in that whatever we want we can we can go we can have, but it'll never be rich. The asset is the pub and and obviously being able to buy it and and the the profit in that from when we bought it for. So um, I wouldn't wouldn't say ever no. I, I don't regret doing it, um, but I, it's not something I'd want for him. Um. I guess one final question is that five years down the line, uh, the locals were a bit suspicious when you came here. Um, do you think you've changed a few minds that they'll miss? Suspicious mis- about what? <laughs> what? What are you going to? Well, they're always suspicious in villages, aren't they? But, uh, about you know what, what was going to happen to the pub and everything like that. And and you, I mean, I wonder whether you you'd like to think that they'll miss you when you're gone. I think there'll be people that that will miss you. I mean, it's like anything. Um, I remember when I first moved, as you say about pubs and it, what thing, I remember the f- a person out West Cumbria turned around and said, you're just the key holder for the present time um, and you're the caretaker. And, and that's what we are. We're just the caretaker until the next people come along. I'd like to think we've made, made some friends along the way while we've been here. We've also ruffled a few feathers while we've been here. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's a business and it's got to pay for itself. And if we can make friends along the way, then that's great. And there'll be, there'll be, there are some people that we... We are we do consider as friends, yeah. um, and we keep in contact with. Um, but yeah, you you, yeah, I think that's locals all intense really. My thanks to Sean Gardner and the team at the Sally in Irvington for their continued hospitality. One day I will settle my slate, I promise. And that's it for this episode of the Cumbria Business Podcast. It's been a bit sporadic of late, I know, and I do apologise, but things have been afoot and the show's been on the move. We're now part of the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network. And if you're wondering what that is, stay tuned and all will be revealed in a couple of moments. For now, though, this has been a Paperfoot production for the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network. I'm Nick Brownlee. Thanks for listening. Paperfoot. Cumbria Sound and Vision Network. There now follows a trailer from the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network. Hello there and welcome to the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network. I'm Nick Brownlee. And I'm Pete Crouch. Nice place you got here, Pete. Thanks, Nick. Uh, we thought we'd come on and just tell you a little bit about what the Cumbria Sound and Vision Network actually is. The Cumbria Sound and Vision Network is the home of creative talent within Cumbria. Because there's a lot out there, Pete, um, and a lot of it doesn't get seen and a lot of it doesn't get heard. And I think that we have the facilities and the expertise to, uh, to raise them above the bar. So if you think about the network as uh, a portal where you can come, there'll be podcasts, 
There'll be video, there'll be live Q&As, there'll be some live streaming across a whole bunch of, of interesting subjects, including food and drink, movies, business, sport, anything that, uh, that anything we Anything you like, really. Anything, anything you like. Um, we were sort of um, trying to boil it down into a pithy sentence about what it is, and all we could come up with is the Netflix of Cumbria, which is a bit corny, but it kind of it says what it is, doesn't it? It is, and I think the, the, the ultimate goal with that, Nick, is that if we can get the, the library of content up there and we can get into a position where we can produce original content that, uh, you know, that people really want to engage with. The thing is that we want to hear from you. If you've got an idea, it just has to be an idea, really. If you've got no experience, as long as you've got an idea, a bit of enthusiasm, we've got the wherewithal to try and make it happen for you. The important thing is, it's all Cumbrian made and Cumbrian produced. So if you're out there watching this thinking, well I've got a good idea, I've got an idea for a show, go to the contact form on the, on the webpage which is csvn.co.uk. We're interested in talking to people that have got a good idea. You just need an idea, you just need an idea. You don't have to have any experience particularly. Um, if you, you might have made a podcast in your bedroom or you might have done a video on your phone. All we want is ideas, creativity, people who we can work with. So you can look forward to lots of interesting stuff coming on the channel soon. Um, go to csvn.co.uk, you'll see the, the, the new shows as they come live. And as Nick said, if you've got an idea that you think you'd want to share with the world, we've got the means to make that happen. We look forward to seeing you soon. Get in touch. Cumbria Sound and Vision Network. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Paul Donaldson, and this is the Carlisle Cult Cinema Cast. I've always been a film fan. Right through school, I was called Barry Egged Norman. <laughs> Late 70s, early 80s, my dad used to get us up to watch those um, BBC double bills, the horror double bills from, from Hammer and Universal. And I loved them. Absolutely fell in love with horror films. Horror, horror films. And I never once had nightmares, never scared us. Um, I did try and blame things on the voice in my head, but that's because I'd seen it in the film, so you know what I mean? That's the, these are the things you do as a kid. Um, but yeah. And then obviously videos came along, and I can remember going to school one morning, no video player in our household, coming home, video player, and the first film my dad had bought or rented, should I say, was Zombie Dawn of the Dead. Come on, son, sit down, you might enjoy this. Dawn of the Dead, still my favourite film, up there with the Evil Dead. I'm also, I'm not just a horror fan, I like all sorts. Superheroes, like a good comedy, a good action film. Can't beat the stuff from, the, the action films from the 80s. We're actually recording this tonight in my cinema room at home. Never counted them, but it's wall to wall. VHS, Blu-ray, and everything in this room. Anybody who's been in here and seen it know what I mean. So with this podcast, I'm hoping to interview a few people from the cult movie world. Also sit down, have a crack with some friends of mine who can pop in, co-host with us, act check, whatever. One of the things I want to do is go through the decades. Well, go through the years. Starting at 1980, I'm going to pick like maybe five of my top films from 1980. Have a little bit of a talk about them. Or I'll maybe pick a genre 
say musicals or because I do like a musical, believe it or not. Gene Kelly's movements in Singing in the Rain. Oh, fantastic. No, no, it's certainly not going to be all horror movies and slasher movies. You know what I mean? We'll be covering everything. I won't just be talking about horror because even though horror is the big thing that got me into film, I love film. A lot of you will know I've got something called transverse myelitis, which in 2019 paralysed us from the neck down. I'm fighting back and I'm learning to walk and it's a long road and there's ups and downs and there's been back steps and forward steps and blah, blah, blah. I'm getting there. The subjects that I'll cover are, you know, everything from silence to the latest superhero films. So, I mean, I like talking about films I've just watched as well. And some days I'll watch five or six films, because let's be honest, I've got nothing else to do. And I just, I'll watch anything. So, tend it all. If you like movies and you fancy a bit of, you fancy listening to a bit of daft crack with this idiot, the Parallel Cult Cinema Cast, coming from us from the Cumbrian Sound and Vision Network, be available on all major podcast outlets.